Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. We're in a incredibly challenging chapter of John. It's like right in the middle of, it really just goes through the whole process of Jesus's um, trial and crucifixion and so on. And so in, in many ways it's familiar to us. But it's so profound as we look at it and we see so many things that speak to us. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this incredible book. And thank you for all that you're teaching us and revealing to us through it as we go on through it day by day. And Lord, we ask you to speak to us today as well. And to really transform our day with an encounter with your lovely self. Amen. Good morning, Ruth and Chris. So today... Um, this is, I, I find these chapters really hard and they're, they're kind of familiar as well and it's easy to kind of skim over it when we're reading through the Bible and just kind of think, oh, I know that story. And let's just go through it together and see what God is saying to us today. So verse 1, chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Remember, Pilate's the Roman governor. He's got He's got the kind of job of maintaining peace in this occupied territory amongst the rebellious Jews and they don't really want him there but he's got a job to do and he's kind of known for being cruel and heartless and subjecting people to death without trial. So anyway, so that being the background is kind of all the more interesting. And the soldiers, so so Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. He's already said... The previous chapter that Jesus is innocent, as far as he's concerned, he can find no guilt in him. Um, So he said that once, but nonetheless, he has no problem whatsoever in ordering um, the soldiers to beat him and flog Jesus. And then they're kind of professionals and they're hardcore. They don't care about Jesus. They don't have any affection for him or loyalty to him. Morning, Lorraine. Great to see you. And so they're going to use their imagination to be brutal and it's amazing I I think as you look through history how twisted people's imaginations are when it comes to forms of torture and so they've twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe which is the colour of royalty because purple was an expensive dye so they've dressed him up as a mock king And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. We saw in the previous chapter, the first guy struck Jesus, and now it's kind of open season on Jesus. And the physical and mental torture is going to come thick and fast. And so they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So they're kind of like, just, hey, King of the Jews, whoa, and pushing him and shoving him and smacking him around. And Pilate went out again and said to them, see, so he's talking to the Jews, meanwhile, he's saying, um, 
he went out to them again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. So he's subjected him to being flogged. He's allowing the soldiers to ridicule him and mock him. But nonetheless, he's still uneasy about Jesus. He's still uneasy about just kind of passing the death sentence because he knows he's clear in his own mind that this guy in front of him is innocent doesn't stop him you know being happy with his torture but it does he he is saying this this man is innocent and uh so um so he's bringing him out so he's kind of going in and out of his courtyard and negotiating with the jews because they won't they're too proud or they're too religious to come into his courtyard and allow themselves to become defiled by um, associating with Gentiles on this holy day. However, they're, they're very happy for Jesus to be humiliated and beaten and all the rest of it. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe Pilate had put on him. And um, Pilate, sorry, <laughs> I beg your pardon, my reading is lousy this morning. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Jesus, gosh, Pilate said to them, behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him to your, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. This is now the third time Pilate has declared Jesus not guilty. And we said, didn't we, before that it's so significant that this is the, the day of preparation for the feast. It's the day this the Passover feast is in full swing and um, that all across the city, something like 200,000 lambs are being um, declared innocent and spotless and suitable for the Passover sacrifice, Passover lamb. And Jesus himself is now being officially declared innocent by the highest authority in the land at the time, which was the Roman governor. He's saying, I find no guilt in this man. So there's a lot going on here. Um, Pilate is trying to offload responsibility. So he's saying, will you crucify him then? Well, he knows the Jews can't crucify him because they don't have that power. He's the only one who can authorise Jesus to be crucified and he has to get his soldiers to do the job. They can't just do it by themselves. The Jews can't just do it by themselves. But they come back at him in verse 7. It says, the Jews answered him, we have a law According to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. <laughs> so Pilate, we know from one of the other gospel accounts that Pilate's wife had a dream and sent a message to him saying, don't have anything to do with this man. He's an innocent man. I've been I've suffered many things in the night through dreams because of him. Let him go. Pilate is a weak man in spite of his kind of powerful position and in spite of his brutality he doesn't have the moral fibre to stand up to the Jews and we'll see how they manipulate him in a second but there's a few things here he says just before that he says behold the man and it's like he's presenting Jesus dressed up in this robe and it's almost like he's saying behold here's the accused one you know have him 
but is there's a certain degree of sarcasm and kind of yeah this is just another guy this is just another man uh, he's just a human being i'm just throwing him out there and then the jews come back to him and say well actually he says he's a he says he's god so we can't let him live and i mean i think for pilate even he in his calloused state, he still is intimidated by that statement. He's thinking, oh, my life, what am I getting involved with here? I didn't choose this. And I think it was probably the most difficult case Pilate will ever have tried in his life. So he says, um, when Pilate heard this statement, verse eight, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you will have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So he's saying, actually, Pilate, <laughs> Even though you perceive yourself to be in a position of authority, that authority has been given to you from my father. And he's the one who is watching over all of this chain of events. And this is actually something that he's permitted you to do. This is something he's given. Um, <clears throat> he, you've been actually inadvertently, you've been raised up for this purpose to do something which you you're just a a small bit part player in a cosmic drama that is being acted out right now. And so um, Jesus really in his even though he's bloodied and beaten and flogged. <clears throat> and it's it's worth saying that the Roman flogging was an end in itself. I mean, it could literally finish you because it was so brutal The the whip they used had thongs of leather with pieces of bone or metal in the ends and it would literally tear the flesh and uh, stuff off your back and people passed out people died because of it it was just so brutal and it often exposed the ribs and the internal organs the kidneys and stuff like that it's just just beyond and these were not amateurs when one got tired they would swap the soldier over with somebody else so that it kept coming with fresh strength this flogging and so Jesus is in this much reduced physical state and yet he's absolutely in no doubt about who he is and what's going on and he knows that his authority is so superior to Pilate's and in he's yet he's submitting himself to Pilate's authority in because it's going to serve the purpose of God and so he says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. So he's saying even, Pilate, you're guilty of something, but actually the one who delivered me over is the real guilty person here. And that's Judas. But he's working on behalf of these other powers who are the guilty ones as well. So from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Now, remember, I said that we that Annas and his family and his you know his kind of clique of powerful priestly people had this 
lovely, cosy little hegemony going with the Roman government where they knew how to get what they wanted out of it. They knew how to preserve their positions of power and influence and protect their own interests. And they were doing very well financially out of this relationship with the Romans. And now they are masterful manipulators. And we know the devil is as well, don't we? The devil is the father of lies. When he speaks lies, Jesus said he's speaking his own language. It's his native tongue. He's very good at it. He's had lots of practice. And Pilate is a pushover for these practiced manipulators like Annas. And they say to him, if you release this man, because Pilate's wriggling, he's trying to offload it. He's trying to get Jesus off his caseload and get himself out of the story. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. They bring out their trump card and Pilate has got nowhere to go because he knows that if word gets back to Rome that he's disloyal to Caesar, it will be literally in moments and news travels fast in a in a situation where everyone's trying to improve themselves and better themselves and ingratiate themselves to the all-powerful emperor that kind of news travels very very quickly and you can literally be say it one minute and be dead the next so everyone who makes himself a king opposes caesar this is their trump card this is their most manipulating um, word yet. So morning Fran, morning George, morning Clive. Um, so when Pilate heard these words he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha which means like elevated place. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. Actually the chronology of this is a little bit tricky because the some of the I think the synoptic gospels say that the Last Supper was on the night of the Passover. John kind of seems to tell it as the day before the Passover. We're well, now we're on the Friday, <clears throat> and they're talking about the preparation of the Passover. So it would seem that it's like a kind of um, a a kind of slightly spread out feast and they can they people celebrate it within that time but anyway it's difficult to kind of real really pin it down but verse 14 it says now is the day of the preparation of the passover it was about the sixth hour so it's early in the morning and he said to the jews behold your king and they cried out away with him away with him crucify him isn't that interesting Pilate is going to stick with the story that Jesus is a king. And I think Pilate knows that the guy in front of him is no ordinary person anymore. I think he's now got there in his mind and he realises that he's in the grip of a, a most powerful thing that he really doesn't understand at all. But he somehow knows this guy in front of him, this Jesus, is a king and so he says, behold your king, look at him, see him. Um, and But their response is even more vehement. Get rid of him, away with him, crucify him. They're adamant and they're, they, they've just become literally intoxicated with the idea of Jesus dead. And they also know that this is the 
the um, auspicious moment. This is the kind of moment of their opportunity. This is the kind of Kairos moment, the the, the now moment of God where things are going to happen. And they know this is they're going to press their advantage right now and go all the way. And they, they cannot afford to let Pilate welch on the agreement now. And they want him to go all the way through with it. And so they're going to keep pushing and keep pushing. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? He's still holding out. He's still trying to get some bit of leverage. And it isn't working at all, is it? He's trying. Look, come on, guys. Do you really want me to crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Good morning, Susan. Um, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to be crucified. And here's this incredible thing. This guy called McLaren says they who will not have Christ will bow to a tyrant. And so in refusing Jesus, in closing their minds, closing their hearts to Jesus, saying we're not going to have this guy to rule over us. They were basically saying what they were. They were actually voluntarily saying we're going to bow to Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. And this is just such a, it shows just the depth of determination that these guys have got to go all the way through with the crucifixion. Because um, they hated the Romans. They hated Caesar. They hated the oppression. And yet they were doing very nicely out of it. And they were prepared to sacrifice the God's way of redeeming them they were prepared to reject his only son to um, preserve their place in society and preserve their power base and so they they in doing that they embraced a tyrant and whenever interestingly when we reject Jesus we inadvertently if not consciously embrace a tyrant we bow to a tyrant who's called the devil, who will rule over us and just rob us of everything. He'll take literally the shirt off our backs. He'll rob us of everything, leave us with nothing. So when they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, there they crucified him and with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So those were the kind of real current languages of the empire, I suppose. And anyway, let's just read on, finish the sentence. So, so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate do not write the king of the Jews but rather this man said I'm the king of the Jews and Pilate answered what I have written I have written so we know the story well Jesus has to carry this cross beam on his shoulder he carries it all the way through the city to the outskirts where it's these big poles are stood up uh, or these they're going to be stood up anyway and they lie him down and they crucify him there um, in between two thieves. And Pilate writes this inscription. I think this is so interesting because Pilate, don't forget, I believe we uh, I think we're beginning to see that Pilate has become 
convinced of something. I don't think he's clear what he's doing or what he's handling, but I think he knows that Jesus is a king. Jesus, He knows somehow that Jesus is a very significant person. And so he makes this point and he gets this inscription written in three, three major languages and nails it on the cross. So everyone passing by can see it. It was customary to write the crime of the criminal who was nailed to the cross so people could see what they were being crucified for like insurrection against Rome or something like that, maybe murder. Um, but here he says it's written Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He hasn't written any incriminating evidence. All he's done is stated a fact and he's written it in these languages. And it's almost like he's preaching the gospel to the to the known world without really realizing what he's doing. I don't think he fully gets it. But there he is, and he's going to stick with it now. He's made this statement. He's not going to be budged from it. And they, they're they unhappy about it. They say, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm the king of the Jews. And Pilate sticks his heels in and says, no, I'm going to stick with what I've written. Interesting, he has a bit of principle. In the end, he's trying to kind of assert himself, but he's, he's powerless, really, in the face of um, if you let this man go. You're not Caesar's friend. In verse 23, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, or woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfil the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And so John is just helping us realise that even in these small, apparently insignificant details that he's recorded, there are prophecies being fulfilled left, right and centre. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus, listen to this, were his mother, his mother's sister, who we think is probably Salome, who's John and James's mum. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So John is obviously there, and there's this kind of little huddle of what's left of Jesus' followers who loved him, just watching what's going on. And you can imagine, I mean, there have been paintings, haven't they, done of it? Um, it's just such a profoundly moving scene. And when Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved, this is John writing about himself in his most anguished moment. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now, I think Jesus is the the, the kind of idea is that he's speak, he's pointing at John and he's basically saying, mum, he's your he's your son now. Take him on and love him. And he says to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. I think this is just utterly mind blowing. As Jesus and half of his back has been ripped off. He's been nailed in this ridiculously painful position. You want to read about crucifixion. You'll read some horrible things that will never leave your mind. 
just utter brutality. He's nailed to this cross. He's yanked up in the air and dropped down into this socket of a hole so the thing's stable. And there he is, hanging there with the life just pouring out of him. And his strength all gone. And he's looking at these people who he loves. He's looking at these people who love him. And his heart is still <laughs> moved with compassion for his mum. Wow. And for his dear friend John and these other ladies. Beautiful, beautiful moment. And so profound and so Jesus and so much why I love him. So much why I think he's worthy of every last drop of blood that is in my body. He gave all of that for me. Man alive. Wow, Jesus. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. This is important we understand these scriptures. Jesus knew that all was finished. It's done now. I think it's an interesting little kind of discussion that is had over whether Jesus did descend to hell on that next but whatever we're talking about here it doesn't i jesus knows now that it's all finished he hasn't got anything else to do this is it we're done i've carried the sin of the world i've taken all of this on myself i've become a curse whoever hangs on a tree is as accursed i've become accursed now i'm I've taken all of this on. I've drunk the cup of the Father that the Father gave me to drink. I've I've carried this all through. It's all finished. And um, then he said, so knowing all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And that that Greek word there, the scholars tell us, is tetelestai, which, or something like that, I've probably pronounced that wrong, tetelestai, tetelestai, there you go, and it means paid in full, it's like a legal term, it's like, there you are, that's the debt paid, so it's when you owe someone a thousand pounds and you slap a thousand pounds in their hands, they tetelestai, paid in full, there you go, good morning Pat and Mike, good morning Chris, great to see you lovely people, and so then he says, I'm so he when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave it up. It wasn't taken from him. Jesus said that himself. I'm going to lay down my life by myself. No one's going to take it from me. And when Jesus had done everything and made this incredible declaration, it is finished. He gave up his spirit. He relinquished his spirit into the Father's hands, didn't he? And he's done it all. We talk about the finished work of the cross. It is finished. Jesus said that. Since it was the day of preparation, verse 31, and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the sa that Sabbath was a high day. So the Sabbath coming right up is a very special Sabbath. The Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken, that they may be taken away. So breaking their legs would mean they'd die, the bodies would slump, they'd suffocate, die more quickly. And so they they don't the Jews are embarrassed about having these dead bodies hanging up on crosses all through this special holy day. 
surprising what they're squeamish over, isn't it? And surprising what they're not is, is shocking, really. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with, uh, with him. But they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. And you can read all about that on the Internet. There's lots of things that talk about the blood and water and what caused that. Now, John says this profound statement. He says, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. Right. John is using legal language. He's saying this is my testimony. This is my sworn affidavit. I'm telling the truth. He underlines it again. He knows he's telling the truth. It's like I'm telling the truth and I know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> this is what I saw. I'm telling the truth. I know I'm telling the truth that you may believe. So John's not writing this for any other purpose but to bring you and I and any readers who will read this and have read it since he wrote it. Bring us to a place of faith that we can believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. So John's testifying to all of this. He's seen it all. And again, the scripture says they will look on him who they have pierced. And again, you can look those up. We don't have time this morning just to finish the story, to finish the chapter. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who also earlier had come to Jesus by night, Came bringing a mixture of myrrh, myrrh and aloes. These are precious herb, um, spices that they use for wrapping dead bodies in to make them smell nice. About seventy-five pounds in weight. That's I don't think that's it, English pounds, um, but it's something like three hundred and twenty or three hundred and thirty kilos of weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Wow. What a profound event. Jesus, all we can say is thank you. We, we can never imagine what depth of pain or suffering you went through for us. And yet we just say, thank you, Lord. And we say, we'll take it. Lord, let what you did on that cross count for me today and forever. Amen. Have an amazing day, you guys. God bless you.